Well, good morning. I'm David Roderick, I'm the uh, Associate Pastor of Outreach and Mission here. And I'm also going to be your speaker today, but I'm going to wear the Outreach and Mission hat first. I just want to say a couple of things. First, I want to say thank you to everybody who brought food and, and, and gave toward our shared Thanksgiving. We're doing 60-some baskets. Even as we speak, there are people working next door in our ball fields in the concession stand area, packing boxes. Many of you have been a part of that. Many of you will be delivering them today, but we'll be able to deliver those boxes to families in need so that they will have food on Thanksgiving and I just want to say thank you to you guys for uh, being a part of that and, and helping make others' lives better. Uh, in some ways, we'll be talking about that in the message in a little bit. I also want to share something with you that um, uh, as a part of my job, I am the upward, upward basketball director. And my plug for, you, for that is that we need, always need help. We have nearly, well, last year anyway, we had nearly 700 people through our doors every week. And we need people just to stand back and greet people, welcome them, direct them as they come in. We need people to help in concessions. We desperately need referees, um, maybe coaches. We have some of that. It's just a variety of things and people praying. So if you would be interested in helping with our Upward program, uh, it's a chance for us to get to know dozens and dozens of families. We get to speak to them at halftime every week. And, and I usually talk about uh, parenting and uh, how to model for your kids the kind of people you want them to grow up to be, as well as giving kids an opportunity to play in a non-competitive atmosphere where they can just have fun. And so there's a lot that happens there. Uh, another way that you could help, um, last year, one of, the, one of the young kids that played here, Connor, cute, cute little kid, uh, I don't know where he gets it, but uh, he was just adorable. And uh, last May, tragedy struck Connor's life, and, and we lost him. And um, his family, from the day I took over the Upward program here, his dad has been by my side. He's been our coach commissioner. He's coached two and three teams at a time, shows up at practices even when he doesn't have to be here, uh, builds relationship with the kids and with the coaches. And I, I don't know, our program would not be where it's at if it wasn't for Ray, Ray Garlic and his family. And, um, and we're going to have a hole this year in Upward with Connor not being there. And I know this is difficult, but uh, Ray wanted me to be able to share this with you today. But we're setting up the Connor D. Memorial Scholarship Fund for Upward. And our goal is, and our church has always been so good to step up and help with some scholarships for kids that need it. But we have a lot of kids who are not, not able to pay and play, and we never want a kid not to be able to play basketball here because of what it is that can happen in their life. And so we want to make sure there's always funds available. And so in honor of Connor and his family, we're setting up this uh, scholarship fund. And so over the next few weeks, as you have opportunity, as you hear more about that, or call me and ask questions, we'd love for you to consider donating to that so that we can build that scholarship to where we never have to worry about uh, having money for a kid to play. And uh, Ray, thank you for letting me share that today. Um, it's, um, it's what Upward does, is it connects with people and with kids and makes them a part of not just a family, but our family, our church family. Would you pray with me? God, 
We are thankful that you walk us through some of the most difficult things of life, that you're there for us, that you give us opportunity to encounter others' lives. Today, God, let us learn a little bit more about how often we miss what you're doing so that we can be more intentional about celebrating and recognizing your involvement in our lives and the things that you do for us and how much you want the very best for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as Andy mentioned, we're finishing up this series on the days and nights of Jesus' life. And um, last week, Andy kind of talked about Jesus' ascension and beyond that, and I'm kind of filling in the gap in between there as we're talking about, and, and the story that Dan read today all took place on the same day that Jesus arose from the dead, the day that he left the tomb. So you need to know the context of this story to really appreciate it. And, um, and, and the thing is that, that Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples and his followers. We know the 12 disciples, but there were a lot of others as well who weren't his inner circle, but were with him most of the time. And, and we're going to meet a couple of them today. And as the story started, it says, you know, they were traveling from, uh, from Jerusalem, where Jesus had been crucified, back to a city where they, were, they probably lived, of Emmaus, which is about seven miles or so from Jerusalem. And they were talking about each other, and as they were uh, with, uh, talking to each other about what had happened, and all of a sudden, a third person is, third person is walking next to them. And it says that it was Jesus, but it says they were kept from recognizing him. How in the world did that happen? Was this his resurrected body? Was, well, you know what we call that. We call that another sermon for another day. <laughs> uh, not going there today. But it's like he wore a mask. Somehow they didn't recognize him. And so they, they asked him, or he asked them, the disciples, what are you discussing together as you walk along uh, the road? It says they stood with their faces downcast. They were hurting. They were sad because of what happened. One of them, his name was Cleopas, he asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened these days? Jesus is like, well, what things? They said, well, the Blues won the Stanley Cup after 50 years. We've got a huge parade going on. The, the arch grounds are full. Everybody's wearing blue, and you don't know what's going on? I mean, could you imagine somebody being in St. Louis during that time and going, what? What happened? Well, that's what happened. I mean, for the last week, Jesus had made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He'd been arrested. He'd been put on trial. He'd been beaten and ultimately crucified on a cross and then laid in a tomb. That's what had been going on in Jerusalem. But there's Jesus. What things? What are you talking about, he asked them. Well, their first reaction is pretty, pretty telling. They just stood there with their faces downcast. They didn't get it. They didn't know what the purposes were. So they began to tell him what happened. They said, it's about Jesus of Nazareth. Don't miss the irony of this, all right? They're talking to Jesus. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Well, Jesus had told them over and over that that was going to happen. 
It shouldn't have been a surprise to them, yet they still missed it, and they missed that who was standing right there. You can go back through the Gospels and, and read all kinds of, of times. Well, for example, Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to new life. That's the exact story these disciples just told to Jesus. And Jesus had told them that in Matthew 16, Matthew 17, Matthew 20, and several other places in the scripture. Yet they were still looking for something different. What they were looking for was a new Moses, an earthly prince who would rule the world and restore Israel to its rightful place. But his death ended that dream. The rug had been pulled out from underneath them, and the disciples were free-falling. They didn't know what to think, what to do, where to go. I, I mean, they loved Jesus. That didn't change, but, but they couldn't understand why this happened to him. They missed him. They missed who he really was. In fact, they missed not only who he was standing uh, right there next to him, but also his purposes in coming. Don't you know that we are often like the disciples? We don't see things because we're not expecting to see them. They were expecting Jesus to be a ruler, and he came to do that, but their sights were so low. And sometimes we have our expectations so low, or we have a certain expectation that's just not the best expectation for us. You know, I understand that there are times we try to find out what does God want from us? What is he doing? Why is this hard? Or what's he calling us to do? Several years ago, I was asked to consider planting a church, starting a new church. And I, was, I was, kept thinking about that, and, and, and I was compelled to do it for many reasons. One, where I was serving currently, I was really struggling philosophically with, with where the church was and where it was going. And I really had some things I wanted to do in ministry that were, were different than what was going on there. But, man, planning a church, kind of starting over, starting from scratch, and and I, and I had some friends, three couples around me that were, we were all kind of praying about this together. And one of them asked me one day, he said, hey, can you meet me at Dairy Queen? Let's just kind of talk through this a little more. And so we were staying at Dairy Queen, and, and just, just as we began to talk, a, a man walked in. And, and I need to preface this with, you may not believe what I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm not sure I believe this story. And if I was sitting where you were, I definitely wouldn't believe somebody standing up here telling this story. But it's my story. And, and as we're sitting there talking, we're talking very quietly. The, the restaurant was loud. This guy sat down on the far side of the restaurant. And I say that because there's no way he knew what we were talking about. And I really wouldn't have recognized him or even knew that he'd been there you know, after I left, other than he stood up and he starts walking around toward us. I didn't know he was coming toward us. I just saw the movement. But the closer he gets, I realize he's, realize he's coming up to our table. And this is the story he said when he got there. He said, I'm a pastor from Maine, and I'm on my way to a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
said, my car's got plenty of gas. I ate a couple of hours ago, but for some reason, I felt like I needed to exit here. So I exited. I, I drove across the bridge, and I looked. I saw this Dairy Queen. I thought, I'm supposed to go to Dairy Queen. He said, I hate Dairy Queen. <laughs> he said, while I'm eating, I looked over, and I saw you guys. And I knew there was something I was supposed to tell you. He goes, I don't know if this means anything to you or not, but I need to tell you that whatever it is you're thinking that you need to do, you need to do it. Now, that's a little weird in itself, right? Especially because we're thinking, we're thinking, okay. And, but then he puts his card down. <laughs> For those that are older, you'll know this. His name was Robert Goulet. He's not the singer, but he goes, he goes, I'm, I'm, I think he said, I'm Bob Goulet. His, his card said Robert Goulet. He said, I'm a, a pastor in Maine who planted a church a while back, and I think you need to plant a church. <laughs> it happened. I'm t- I get it. Trust me. <laughs> Be as skeptical as you want. And he walked away, and it was probably five minutes before my friend Bob or I said anything again to each other. And we planted a church. And I kept that card for a long time as a reminder because there were a lot of days I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Why did I do this? And I would look and I would say, because this is what God has called me to do. Well, that was kind of my Emmaus Road experience of running into Jesus. Robert Goulet did not look like him, but he certainly spoke like him. Don't miss Jesus when he's there. Usually it's a lot more subtle than that. Would it be nice if it was always that easy? (laughs) Well, after the disciples, or after Jesus had replied to, or excuse me, after they had explained to him who this Jesus was, this prophet, this powerful man of word and deed, and, and that he'd been crucified, they said these words. They said, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had hoped, past tense. Those are sad words, some of the saddest words in the Bible. We had hoped, we no longer hope, we're hopeless. Our hope of what we thought was going to happen is gone. They were grieving. I know we bring a lot of grief into this room and and it's with caution that I even talk about this today because it can bring up grief for people. But I think it's important, and in particular, the kind of grief that they were feeling was the grief of the loss of a dream, a loss of what they thought life was going to be like. They had this dream that Jesus was going to be this earthly leader, but they had to work through that grief, because as they worked through it, it allowed them to grasp a new reality about who Jesus really was and what his mission really was. See, even after the disciples knew that Jesus had rose from the dead, the idea of his ruling the earth was gone. The hope of this new Moses had disappeared. But they had to accept a new paradigm, a new way of looking at the life of who Jesus was. And guess what? It was so much better and so much bigger and so much more important than just establishing Israel for that moment in time as the new leader of the world. He came to be a prince. He came to restore the people of Israel 
but it was much bigger. He came to restore all of humanity. And not for a time, but for eternity. What they wanted and they expected was so much less and so much smaller than what God wanted. And so often in our lives, we find that true, that what we think, think the way we think things should be, if we finally let go of that, we find that there's something so much better. It's okay to grieve. In fact, it's important to grieve. Even the loss of a dream. Because as you do, it opens you up to new realities. There was a situation early in my uh, youth ministry that, that grieved me. Uh, we had a, a gentleman kind of came to our church, um, not very often, he's a troubled man, and, and he had a son who was 16, and his son had been kicked out of his home. And he came to me one day, though, and said, hey, my son Jason, he, he's in jail. I, I was wondering if you could go visit him. So the first time I ever met Jason was through this glass window on a phone, and just he's telling me kind of his story and how he wound up being there. And when he got out, we got together a handful of times. Several times he came to youth group and hung out with us. Um, one unusual, I'd give him a ride home. And, and one day I asked him, I said, so how, you know, I know you don't live with your dad. Who are the people you're living here with? And he said, well, they're drug dealers, but they're the ones that accepted me and gave me a place to live. And he goes, it's not an ideal situation, but it's where I'm at. Well, over the years, I always regretted that I didn't do more for Jason. I saw him two or three more times in jail because he kept getting in trouble, and, and I talked with him, but I would think, I, I should be able to help this young man. Well, as time went on, I moved. Moved out of state. I actually moved here. And over the next few years, I would go to youth ministry conferences, and I would speak. And it wasn't unusual for me to use the story of Jason as a time when I failed. And I, I use that as an encouragement for people to always recognize the needs and students and do all that you can to meet those needs. But for me, it was a failure. About three years ago, I get this um, direct message on Facebook. And it's from Jason Harris. <laughs> and attached as a video, he said, I want you to watch this video. It was, it was his testimony that he gave at a church shortly before that. But in his note, he said this. He said, you're mentioned in here. You are a part of my story. I hope this finds you well. Thank you for your part in leading this out-of-control guy to Christ so many years ago. Among many other feelings, it was the first time in ministry that I was able to let go of the fact that I am not the Savior. I am not the one who came to redeem people and to save people. I am here to serve God, to do the best that I can, and then let God do his work. I trusted me. I did not trust God with Jason. Yet, thank goodness, what my expectations and my reality were, were so low compared to what God's reality was. It's okay to grieve. Grief becomes a part of who we are, and as we envelop it, it teaches us, and it helps us to become better and gives God a chance to change our realities 
and see that he has bigger and better purposes in us. And by the way, it's okay along the way to express that grief to God. He's big enough to handle it. But in your grief, don't ever lose hope. The disciples had lost hope. They forgot that they are in a relationship like we are with a God of hope. He is at work and often in bigger ways than we expect. And despair is not the last word. Never forget that. Don't be afraid to grieve. Well, when we miss Jesus, we're not sure what to do about it. We need to look for him. We need to find him. And there are ways to discover and find Jesus, to reconnect with him, to discover him for the first time if you're not sure he's real. If you're questioning, you know, I, I hear about this guy, I hear about this God, but is he real? There's ways to find him. And I want to talk real br briefly, based on our scripture today, a couple of ways that you can do that. First, in verse 30, it says that later in the day, um, they, had, they, had, they had gotten tired. They'd been traveling all day. They stop where they're at their destination. It says Jesus started to go further. They're like, no, come on back. We, we, we want you to stay with us and have a meal. And so they sat down to have a meal. In verse 30, it says, when they were at the table, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, his mask came off, and they recognized him. And then it says, and he disappeared from their sight. That's the, another story for another time. Because <laughs> later he appears with the other disciples. But here's the thing. It's when they gathered around the table, just a very common everyday act to share a meal together, they discovered Jesus. They recognized him there at the table. And think about Jesus' role in that. Over the last week, all the things that I mentioned earlier that happened to him, including being beaten and, and, and hung on a cross and laid in a tomb for three days, and it's his first day back. And they're telling him, maybe we need to rest for a little bit. In his humanity, I'm sure he'd have been tired, but in his divinity, he was just beginning. But think about this, all that he'd been through, yet there he was once again, the servant. They invited him in, but did they serve him? No, he took the bread. And he broke it. And that simple act, he shared himself with others. It's in community that we find Jesus. One of the best places to find him is in community with others. We do that very same thing when we break the bread and we come down front and we share in the Lord's Supper. And it's community because we all come. It doesn't matter our economic status. It doesn't matter our educational level. It doesn't matter where we live, what color we are. It doesn't matter anything about who we are, what our gender is. It, we are all the same. Our ages, our young, we're old. We come to the table together, recognizing that it's not about us, but to recognize once again what Jesus did for us. In the same way he broke the bread, his body was broken for us. We find him in community around our table. My prayer for you this week is that you'll have family and friends with you around you for Thanksgiving. And when you say thanks, that will be a reminder to you of the good things that God has given you in your life and that you will see him in the relationships you have with your family. Another way around here that we experience Jesus in community is through our journey groups. 
I love the stories that we hear about the relationships that are built there, about the new understandings that people have, about the deepening in their faith and understanding of Jesus. But then they take it a step further, and some of them go out into the community and help others find Jesus by serving others and doing things for them. Because not only are we to meet Jesus in community, but we're to share him and let others see him and meet him in community. Next April, we have an opportunity to go to Puerto Rico for an adult mission project that will, uh, will the primary purpose, well, the purpose is to go and help rebuild and continue the rebuilding after the hurricane from a few years ago. But our real purpose is to help others meet Jesus to meet new people, to broaden our community and introduce him. But here's the really cool part. Every night, my favorite part of mission trips is in the evening when we all gather together and we talk about the day and we debrief the day and ultimately the question comes up, where did you see God at work today? And night after night after night, mission trip after mission trip, the same thing happens. Had that question not have been asked, the things that happened that day would have been forgotten. We would have missed all the things that God did, but all of a sudden when we begin to think about them and share them with each other and hear what God did in other people's lives and where they saw him, he becomes more and more real in our lives. So often we try on our own to find God and rationalize, is there a God, is there not a God? In community, we can find him. The other place that God reveals himself is in Scripture. Verse 32, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures up to us? If you remember in the story, he began talking about how these things had to happen and he used the scriptures, which to them was not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have that. All they had was the Old Testament, but they knew it well. And he took what they knew and he opened their eyes by using it. I imagine he, ta he taught from the Psalms and probably from Isaiah. I can imagine him using this scripture from Micah 2 where he says, but you, Bethlehem, remember Jesus was born in Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And on and on, Jeremiah, just all throughout the Old Testament, we see Jesus. Sometimes we look at the Old Testament, we think it's just all these stories and some of them we don't really like because of the violence and things like that. But when you look at it from the larger perspective, God is always moving culture ahead. Some of those things that we think, I can't believe that that happened in the Bible, that was just common in all of culture. But if you read every one of those stories, somewhere God does something new that moves the culture ahead. And when you look at the Old Testament from a 30,000 feet perspective, you see the story arc that's taking place that begins in the, way back and continues on into the life of Jesus, and it continues on into our lives today. The Old Testament will always, will always paint a picture and move us toward the realities of Jesus, and it always points to our future. So we meet Jesus, we begin to understand who he is, we come to a realization that he has a, a plan for our lives and a plan for others. What are we to do with that? Well, here's what the disciples did. It says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. That's important because, remember, they had already walked all day. 
They were so tired, they said, Jesus, just stop, come in and eat with us. We're tired, it's the end of the day, let's just relax. Yet, within a few moments, when their eyes were open and they understood the message of Christ finally, the, all they wanted to do was get up and get back to Jerusalem as fast as they could because they wanted to proclaim the good news. They found the 11 with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has indeed risen. That should be our response too, to the good news of Jesus to the realization of his love for us is to share that with others. You know, we're entering a Christmas season where we often hear this birth story. It says, I bring you good news of great joy. That's what this series has been about. Introducing us to the good news that Jesus came not only to rule the earth, but to rule throughout eternity and to prepare a way for us to spend that eternity with him. And even as Jesus is still alive today, and he showed himself to the disciples, he continues to show himself to us as the Holy Spirit is alive in us. You see, it's because of Jesus that, and him being alive that we have new life in Christ. And that's good news. Don't miss it. And don't miss Jesus in your life. Let us pray. Oh God, thank you that even when we're blind, you help us to see. When we don't understand, you give us wisdom. When we walk down a crooked or uneven path, you smooth it out for us. It may not be in the way that we think you should do it, in the way that we even ask you to do it, but you do it in the way that is best for us. Because at the end of the day, what we need is you. Because it's all because of you, Jesus, that we have life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.